Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. And of course, this is Thursday night again. And we are here to bring biblical truths to Mormon polygamous culture, holding up Jesus Christ, not polygamy, as our way into heaven. And of course, tonight with us is our co-host, Earl Erskine. It's been a few weeks. It has been since we've actually been here, so it's good to be back. Yeah, and it's good to have you here and good to share what we have to talk about tonight. Very interesting. going to be an interesting show. But first, we have an announcement, and that announcement is it's Peach Days again in Brigham City. You know, during the Peach Days event uh, celebration, there are about 70,000 people who come to Brigham City for the festivities, and Main Street Church of Brigham City opens up their doors and joins into the party, and in fact, their doors will be open to welcome the large crowds of people that wander past the front door of the church. Um, They offer a refuge out of the sun, and visitors will find clean restrooms and cold water and free popcorn and free Wi-Fi and just a good place to come and rest. Um, There's going to be a private place for moms and their babies to come. And, of course, fresh peach cobbler will be given away uh, throughout the days and much more, of course. Main Street Church will be open during the Peach Days festivities in Brigham City on Friday, September 5th. That's tomorrow afternoon from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. And they'll be open Saturday all day long, September 6th from 10 a.m. until 10 p.m. There's going to be a table provided that will have free literature on it and brochures and DVDs and other media that might interest uh, if you if you come by. So we we ask you to come by and say hello. If we've uh, made acquaintances in the past, please come and perhaps we can make new friends as well. Um, Earl, I think you're I'm, planning. planning on, Carla and I are planning on coming up Saturday morning. On, on Saturday, yeah. you'll be there most of the day. I plan on being on there, up yeah. there Saturday as well. So meet and greet people. Yeah, yeah. And, and people who, who would like to meet Earl and his wife, come on up and and uh, and say hello, mm-hmm. and, and I'll Please be there do. as well. And we'll also be giving out some of our uh, new Home for Hagar DVDs that mm-hmm. was just released. So stop by. Main Street Church of Brigham City on uh, Friday and Saturday and say hello to all of us. You know, <clears throat> the first Mormons preached that only through plural marriage could members reach the highest level of heaven and become gods of their own worlds. For example, uh, Brigham Young preached, and I quote, It's all connected with the exaltation of man, referring to polygamy, showing how he becomes exalted to be a king and a priest, yea, even a god like his father in heaven. Without the doctrine that this revelation reveals, no man on earth ever could be exalted to be a god. Now, Brigham Young said this, and this is in Journal of Discourses. But in 1890, around the time in history that Utah was pursuing statehood, there was a convenient declaration from God that suggested they stop the practice of plural marriage. They didn't stop until 1904 when they finally banned polygamy from the mainline church. 
Well, after they banned polygamy, some Mormon polygamists hung on to it uh, because it was the foundation of their religion. So they parted ways with the LDS Church so they could continue in their own personal quests for godhood that they had been taught polygamy promised. My own father, along with all the polygamists I knew of or ever heard of, believed and taught that living polygamy would earn godhood for the man and for all his wives. We were taught that the polygamous man would get his own world, or worlds, depending on how many wives he had here. Each wife would give spiritual birth to spirit babies to all the people who would be born on her particular planet. A man's eternal progression completely depended on his obedience to the law of polygamy and how many wives and children he had here. Doctrine and Covenants 132 verses 19 and 21 talks about this very thing and I think it's find it interesting that the polygamy yeah. revelation describes this. Yeah, and how they become gods. And they mm -hmm. shall pass by the angels and the gods to their exaltation and glory in all things, which glory shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. Then shall they be gods. Then shall they be above all. Then shall they be gods because they have all power and the angels are subject unto them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye abide my law, ye cannot attain to this glory. Now this Fairly is clear. <laughs> it is clear. It's yeah. section 132, and it teaches that in order to become a god or gods, as as this yeah. these verses are saying, polygamy was required, and that's what the polygamists do today. They believe that they believe section 132, yes. and they live it. I'm telling you. Now, isn't there a present denial that they teach or ever taught that that man could become a god? That, that you know, that's such an interesting question, and I went through a lot of material looking at that, including President Hinckley's comment that he wasn't really sure if we believe that or not anymore, but it's referenced in Relief Society magazines and in the Ensign recently. Mm -hmm. uh, the Encyclopedia of Mormonism said this process, known as eternal progression, is succinctly expressed in the LDS aphorism, as man is, God once was, mm -hmm. as God is, man may become. But they taught it so from the it, beginning. Yeah, and it's actually the whole foundation of and the purpose of the temple mm -hmm. uh, to, to reach exaltation, yeah. and those words are synonymous, celestial kingdom. Exactly. Exaltation. And, and, the, and celestial marriage and polygamy actually also is, was synonymous in the early Mormon church and yeah. is in the polygamy groups today. Yeah. Uh, we can't help but wonder why uh, the Mormons deny their own history. They deny their own history. They're the only people that do that I know of. And then they rewrite it. Well, it, it's interesting when they're asked a specific question, they almost have to seem to skirt around rather than just say yes or no. Yeah, just um, be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it it's, just, they anyway. do that. But, but history brings out the truth anyway. Yeah. And historically, uh, the LDS and Mormon fundamentalists have claimed that God requires polygamy and to stop living polygamy would be a disaster for the Mormon church. George Q. Cannon said, and I quote, if plural marriage be divine, as the Latter-day Saints say it is, no power on earth can suppress it unless you crush and destroy this entire people. <laughs> now that's quite a statement for George Cannon to make, and then the mainline church today denies it. Yeah. You know, he said no power on earth can suppress polygamy, yet they let the political power suppress it in 1904 when they gave polygamy up. 
So when the LDS Church gave up polygamy, the super faithful polygamous Mormons who believed what they had been taught also believed that the devil had won the LDS Church over by allowing the practice of polygamy to be stopped. These faithful polygamists would have none of that apostasy, and so split-off groups were formed, each one claiming to be God's only true kingdom. And that fragmentation uh, resulted from all these split-offs groups of the Mormon Church. And uh, that alone proved that Joseph Smith was a false leader and a false prophet because he said on page 706 of the Times and Seasons publication, March 1st, 1842, and we quote. Very fascinating. Believing that if God had a church, it would not be split up into factions and that if he taught one society to worship one way and administer in one set of ordinances, he would not teach another principle, which, principles which were diametrically opposed. So we find it interesting, he said, that if God had a church, it if would not one. be split up into factions, and that is exactly <laughs> what happened with the LDS Church. Yeah. Through the years, the very church that he started has splintered off into well over 200 different factions and different uh, spin-offs from the original organization. So based on Joseph Smith's own words, it obviously was not God's true church. That's true. During the past 100 years, many men have embarked on their own versions of true Mormonism, and the principle of polygamy was retained in many of those splinter groups. They wanted to attain Godhead by living polygamy, which is precisely what Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and the others had taught them. And the resulting fruits were various and dreadful. On July 31st of this year, we began a three-part series on the 10 creepiest polygamists in Mormon polygamy. The idea came from a website I found, and I received permission from its owner to share the information on our show. And uh, Christi Charity Christensen extended permission as long as we identified the website, which we are always, always willing to do. And we want to thank the webmaster at listfirst.com and Charity Christensen for her gracious permission to use their idea, although we are not precisely following their format. We do thank them for that permission. These top 10 polygamists tell the story of only a few, very few, of these evil men who take people mentally and emotionally captive into their false doctrine of polygamy and laying the blame for it on God. We began I think on... that's the important thing, isn't it? It that is. They, that they said they were doing it all in the name of God. Uh, you know, and that's, that's part of why we do this. Actually, if they didn't blame God for it, and if they didn't yeah. say it was part of heaven, it was the, the way to get to heaven, we wouldn't even do the show. Right. But they blamed God for it. Because we could live and let them live, and, and it, yeah. but they say they yeah. do it to get to God. Right, and so we have to contend for the truth, and that's what God has told us to do. And on July 31st, um, we did number 10, and tonight we're going to start with number nine and work our way through to some to, uh, probably to about number four, four and then right, finish so. next week. So number nine on our top ten list is Ervil LeBaron. Ervil LeBaron was the ninth child of his polygamous father Alma LeBaron and the, Lever the, the LeBaron family had a history of hearing voices and commands and he, they claimed that they were from God. 
Alma LeBaron said that one of those commands was to take a second wife. We know then it wasn't from God. But that's when he took his wife and decided to move to Mexico. He died in 1951, and his son Joel LeBaron became leader of the group, and they called it the Church of the First Board of the Fullness of Time. Ervil LeBaron was his brother and uh, Joel's right-hand man. The members saw Joel LeBaron as kind and soft-spoken and saintly, but Ervil, his brother, was just the opposite. He believed he had the God-given mandate to kill those people who disagreed with him, and he did. He had an eye for women, expensive clothes and cars. He was a sexual predator, and like Joseph Smith before him, he pursued married women sisters, and young teenage girls. One woman gave her 13-year-old daughter to Ervil, and she said, and I quote, if you're going to raise up a generation in a plural marriage, it's very important not to let young girls get romanticized in the worldly sense. In other words, polygamous females don't deserve to have romance. In the 1970s, Ervil LeBaron broke away from his family's polygamous community in Mexico, and he started his own group, which he called the Church of the Firstborn of the Lamb of God. And of course, right here is two factions from the original yeah, Mormon Church, just true. in these two men. Uh, Ervil was a power-hungry man. He was a narcissist. He had 13 wives and at least 50 children. He believed that he was justified in taking adolescent girls as wives because he claimed Mary gave birth to Jesus when she was only 14 years old. Of course, there's no historical proof of that. Now, despite his poverty, he constantly chased after new brides. Uh, Ervil LeBaron threatened members that they would be considered sons of perdition and they would be hunted down and killed if they left his group or refused to submit to his authority over them. At least 25 people were murdered under Ervil LeBaron's dictation, which included members who left, leaders of other polygamy groups, and even his own pregnant daughter. Ervil was eventually convicted for the murder of his brother, and he died in a Utah State prison in 1981 of a heart attack. Sadly, a few of his remaining followers continued to kill in his name. Former members lived in fear, and no one even knows for sure how many deaths have actually resulted from Ervil LeBaron's orders. There are good reasons that he is on the list of the top 10 worst polygamists. Now, on the, the next one is probably someone that very few people have heard of this yeah. next one, Stan I hadn't, King. I hadn't heard of Stan King. Yeah. Stan King in the 1960s was a preacher for the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, another shoot, offshoot of the Mormonism. But in 1970, he broke away and started his own church, which he called the Church of Jesus Christ Restored. Interesting, they keep using the name of Jesus Christ there, mm -hmm. how much important, how important that is. Yeah. But it was based on Joseph Smith's doctrine of polygamy. Church members called Stan King the prophet, and in the true tradition of Joseph Smith's polygamy, he gathered a harem of wives. And in the beginning, he ran his church out of the house, but he eventually outgrew that, and the group eventually uh, bought an, a bankrupt ski resort outside of Ontario, Canada, and moved his commune there. 
A former member and polygamous wife, Carol Christie, described this group run by Stan King as filled with bizarre and insane everything. It was a living hell. She'd been drugged, coerced by her unstable, fanatically religious mother into marrying Stan when she was only 18 years old and he was almost twice her age. When she refused initially his sexual advances, she was beaten into submission by a female friend of her mother. Carol became King's plural wife and he eventually had five other wives ranging I can't believe this, from the ages of 10 to 17, and they often engaged in group sex with all of his wives. He died of a stroke in 1986, but his faithful followers, or interestingly, his faithful follower, oh, yeah. followers refused to bury him, and they kept praying that he was going to be resurrected. Well, after a week or so, I guess, he wasn't resurrected, and he began to decay. Yeah. And so they called the police, and a coroner eventually picked him up and buried him without ceremony. Isn't that so. something? Now, she's written a book. Um, yeah, she has. She wrote a book. And, and uh, the name of it was Polygamy, or uh, Property, the true story of a polygamous church wife. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you can read more about her story by going to the website www.stoppolygamy.com, Carol Crystal Christie's story. And these are hideous stories. You'll read more of her horrible experiences, which she also had with the next person we're going to be talking about. Yeah, number seven. But they were, oh, ahead, they were all self-proclaimed prophets. Yeah. All of them were claiming that God told them to follow in Joseph Smith's footsteps by living polygamy. That's exactly what yeah. they thought they were doing. And this, this number seven happened to be Fred King, who was Stan King's son. In fact, he was the youngest of three sons born to Stan King, uh, Stan King's only legal wife, actually. And when his dad died, Fred took over as the prophet, and he also took over his father's plural wives. Interesting concept. Yeah. Does that happen still? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not real common, but I've known yeah. several instances where that happens. I guess they don't take the mother, but the, the other wives. Oh, they've wives. done that too. Oh, yes. dear. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Stan had been creepy. The dad had been creepy, but Fred apparently was both creepy and sadistic. And like, like most Mormon polygamists, Fred insisted on a policy of absolute secrecy. There were no vel- uh, visitors welcome in Ontario. Fred taught that the way to perform purification in God's eyes was through punishment and discipline. He physically assaulted church members, frequent and severe beatings and verbal abuse became the lifestyle and his congregation lived in fear. Why people stay, I don't know. know. But over the next 23 years, Carol Christie suffered through countless beatings and witnessed others also suffering from his brutality. She was certain that Fred was insane and she said that the final beating she had was so bad that she thought she might be killed and so she knew she had to get out. Good for her. These beatings often took place, this was interesting, at an all-night Sunday church service or activity with everyone in the congregation, including the children, watching the brutality of this polygamist, Fred King. To him, humiliation was a necessary tool for obedience. Six members eventually got out and sued Fred King, and in April 2014, after a 16-month probe, finally led to Fred's arrest in Canada on more than 20 charges ranging from sexual and physical assault to uttering death threats, sexual interference, and exploitation. What a nightmare for women and men and children to live under. And not 
I guess under the threat of being killed themselves, they, they were fearful of leaving, right? They're fearful of leaving. Not only their physical, obviously, in this there was yeah. a lot of physical problem, but of course they always do the spiritual thing. You're going to go to hell. God's going to get oh. you if you leave. And it's your only chance for salvation. That's all part of it, too, uh. which is the same ploy that Joseph Smith used. Yeah. And again, more information about these two men, um, are the father and the son, and the horrible things that they did can be found on the website stoppolygamy.com. Carol Crystal Christie's story. Now we're going to go to number six of our ten worst polygamists, and that one is James T. Harmston, which I believe most of the people that's been familiar with yeah, Utah polygamy anyway would recognize his name. Uh, Jar James Harmston was the leader of another Mormon polygamy group called the True and Living Church of Jesus Christ of Saints of the Last <laughs> Days. I think they all tried to see which name they could get well, to be the they longest. They knew they they knew they needed to have Jesus Christ in there, and that and makes that it the only true it, church with if his name church. is in it. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, uh, and this, of course, it was better known as the TLC or the Harmston Polygamy Group. They were headquartered in Manti, Utah, with a membership of around 300 to 500 people. And they believed that they needed to follow the early Mormon doctrines closely, which of course included plural marriage and the law of consecration. Harmston taught reincarnation. And he claimed that he himself was the reincarnation oh, wow. of Joseph Smith, who was the founder of Mormonism and its polygamous doctrine. He also claimed he was Jesus Christ. Now, members believed that Harmston traveled to other planets in his sleep and spoke with the authority of God. He promised that if any wife disobeyed him, he would send her to hell for a thousand years. I assume you don't ever threaten your wife with that. <laughs> no, no, that wouldn't last very long. <laughs> when he, well, you know, Joseph Smith threatened Emma in yes, Section he, 132. That's true, he in did. print, he threatened to destroy her, or that destroy she would her. be destroyed. Yeah. So he's following in his footsteps. But when his young, Harmston's youngest wife, who was 43 years younger than him, she refused to consummate their marriage, and he sent her a letter threatening fire and brimstone. She said, he said that she would have a lonely and miserable life in this world, and that after she died, it would get even worse. And they claim that polygamists don't threaten their members. <laughs> My goodness, that all, all, the group, all the polygamy groups threaten their members some way or another. Yeah. This uh, is a partial quote we're going to give you from Harmston's threats to his young wife in the letter he wrote. And I quote, The facts are, whether you want to believe it or not, the end is coming, and judgment will be executed in severity, especially for those who have broken their covenants. For certain, I will deal with you in the future eternity. And he signed it, Your Husband king and priest oh. and then now, now this is good threats isn't it boy yeah. I'll get you now and and even and in later. eternity I'll get you yeah. and he sent copies of this letter to five of his other 18 wives which included the girl's mother so uh, was he was he married to the mother and daughter too? Mm -hmm. you know and if so that's pretty creepy uh, Harmston said that Jesus would appear on March 25th of the year 2000, and he would begin the millennium. And of course, that was conditioned on the members' faithfulness. When this prophecy failed, several members left the Harmston group. And I'd like to say right here, there's a lot of people that do that. They'll make a prophecy, and it doesn't happen, and they say, it's the people's fault because they weren't They're faithful. faithful but but right now, you need to know, Jesus is going to return exactly and precisely the day that God says he 
will return. No unfaithfulness of anybody is going to stop his return on the precise day, hour, and second that he has already planned for it to happen. It's not uh, there, the, you know, they place conditions on this, but it's yeah. not up to human faithfulness at all. It's up to God's faithfulness, and he will do what he said he will do. Like Joseph Smith before him, Harmston assigned some of the older women to recruit and to prepare the younger girls for plural marriage, and that's creepy too. <laughs> Harmston suffered a heart attack, and he died in June of 2013. And so now we know that he knows that polygamy was not commanded by God and that he was not Jesus reincarnated. No, he does not. know that now, yeah. <laughs> for sure. That was number six. Now we'll go to number five on the list, and that man is Tom Green. Tom Green claimed that God told him that he and his five wives and their 29 children were to be an example that plural marriage would work. <laughs> the trouble with that is God already knew it wasn't supposed to work, and that's why he mandated monogamy. Too many of our wretched polygamous men claim God speaks to them, instructing them to do terrible things to young girls and to break the law of the land and to take away the human and equal rights of their plural wives. The God of the Bible doesn't do those things. Only men in the name of false gods are guilty of polygamy and its abusive practices. Tom Green never had any inclination to hide his polygamy. In fact, he appraided it on TV all around the country. Utah County Prosecutor David Levitt saw Tom on television flaunting his multiple wives Whoops. to the nation. <laughs> and since polygamy is illegal, the prosecutor did his job. He upheld the law and he arrested Tom Green. Most of the five wives he married were 14 mm. and 15 years old when he married them. They were just girls, and that's also creepy. That's scary. You know? For anybody yeah. that has young teenagers, they <coughs> should relate to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the families lived in junky trailers in the Utah desert and supported their 25 children, mostly from welfare benefits. At his trial, Tom's wives refused to testify against him. They admitted to being married when they were young, but claimed that they waited until they were 18 years old to have sexual relations with him. However, the prosecutor found proof that Tom had impregnated a stepdaughter, now that's creepy, yeah. who was now one of his wives, and she was only 13 years old at the time, and he was 37 years old. Now, he never denied the charge, but claimed they had been in Mexico when it happened. And he was eventually convicted of four counts of bigamy, failure to pay child support, and child rape. He spent six years in prison and was released in 2007, promising to be good and to keep the law. Now, I have, I, I have a question here. Yeah. Tom Green was 37 years old, and he had took this 13-year-old stepdaughter, 13-year-old wife, Joseph Smith was 37 years old, and he took two 14-year-old girls as plural wives. Is there a difference? They both claimed God told him to, okay? Yeah. What's the difference? I don't see a difference. What's the difference? Yeah. Our viewers call in and tell us, what's the difference between the two? They both claimed God told him to do it. It was illegal during Joseph Smith's time, just like it is today. So what's the difference? 
Okay, let's go think about and that as we go <laughs> number to number four. four. And this one is also a very creepy polygamist. This is really creepy, and it may not be someone you're totally familiar with, but uh, if you look up at FBI.gov, mm -hmm. you'll see the results of this man. His name is Alan Harrod, H-A-R-R-O-D. He moved from Salt Lake to... Uh, Folsom County, I guess Folsom, California in the 1980s to spread his interpretation of the original Mormon gospel. His self-made religion was a combination of Mormon doctrine and twisting the Bible. And he came up with his own idea of polygamy, which he called the Universal Church of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Alan, Alan's religious practices, including the sexual abuse of children so that they could promote each child's sexual development from childhood to adulthood. One of the members engaged in ongoing sexual activity with his own daughters to prepare them for sexual activity with Alan Herod. He began their sexual training at seven or eight years of age and one daughter was four years old when the sex began. Wow. The group first consisted of just two families. This uh, Alan was the patriarch and another gentleman, man, was uh, the bishop, called the bishop. For more than a decade, these two men and their wives engaged in ritualistic sex acts with the children of both families. Alan racked up a whopping 97 counts of child molestation when he was finally investigated around 2002. The investigation was launched after his 29-year-old daughter went to the authorities with allegations that Alan had been molesting her since she was in preschool. The police found journals in Allen's home that referred to sexual offerings from the girls and women. And when an act was performed satisfactorily, the girls would receive a charm for their anklet oh, in recognition of awful. their service, I guess. Allen's first wife left him when she discovered his polygamous activity, but he soon found companionship with her sister, who also now faces, faced uh, abuse charges. Allen's daughters claimed that the woman would prepare them for molestation and even worse, took pictures of their forced sexual activities. On each Sabbath, Herod blew an ancient Jewish horn while his children stood in line that signified their rank in the family. And the girl's rank was determined by how many sexual favors they had performed for him that week. Very disturbing. Mm -hmm. Herod's disturbing. second youngest daughter told jurors that she wanted desperately to move up in the family rank, but didn't want to perform the sexual acts that were required of her. Alan and the other man were sentenced to life in prison for six counts of the interstate transport of four minors for the purpose of engaging in unlawful sexual conduct and one count each for the transfer of Alan's seven-year-old son for the purpose of producing sexually explicit images of the boy. And again, you can look this up at www.fbi.gov. Mm -hmm. And they can just Google the, the man's name they and can. come up with all kinds Alan of Herod. news reports yeah. and, and instances. And, and, we just and these have are the ones we know about because they probably were prosecuted. There uh -huh. may be dozens oh, of oh. terrible stories you, that we have no idea what, about. Earl, I know of stories where infants have been raped by polygamous fathers. I know these things happen. One of them I tried to report to the police and they wouldn't take it. This was many, many years ago. There's no but proof. But it's just, just, yeah, there has yeah. to be, there has to and be proof. Somebody has to be willing to, 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 to come to forward. Charge, you know, uh -huh, to charge, to make them. the charge. And that was one of the problems they had with getting Warren Jeffs arrested and, and taken to court was because no one would come forward uh, mm -hmm. to make the charges so that they could charge him and, and take him to court. Fi someone finally did. Wow. And that's how it came about. But... Uh, 
I know how tough it is to leave just Mormonism and, yeah. and the challenge socially and with your family. I can't imagine this extra layer of, of being threatened with leaving polygamy and, yeah. and, and the threat of going to hell and everything else. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's pretty horrendous. Scary. It yeah. is very horrendous and it takes quite a long time to get out from under it. Praise God, Jesus has healed me, you know, and I, yeah. and I, I don't have that fear anymore. Yeah. And I now um, I just am afraid for them rather than being afraid of them. Yeah. So anyway, this is um, was number four of our top ten. We're saving uh, <laughs> the other three for next week because we want to give them justice as we talk to about them. Um, and we'll probably also maybe next week present a couple of dishonorable mentions because we hate to leave anybody out. Yeah. So next week we'll also discuss some current events and some news updates on contemporary polygamists and polygamy groups of what's maybe taken place in the last couple of weeks. So we're going to open up our telephones now. Our telephone number is 801-973-8820-973-TV20. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. And for our break tonight, we are going to show a special four-minute preview of our latest DVD, A Home for Hagar. The night of my wedding was the saddest day of my life. Either you live polygamy or you're going to go to hell. And I would wish somebody would come and kidnap me and take me away. I had no idea what polygamy was actually going to be like. Dear God, help me get out. All these men did whatever they wanted to all these women in my life, and sometimes me. I was given as a third wife to a man that I'd hated since I was nine. And I couldn't do what I would think about it. I was born here, in the land of the free, a slave in a polygamous cult, and my story is not unique. Tragically, too many heartbreaking stories are never made public and they remain untold. We are talking about tens of thousands of lives held captive by this cruel system of religious polygamy. And it is a living nightmare for those who want to get out and can't. I, like other polygamous children, did not have a choice in marriage. I had my free agency to do what I was told or suffer the consequences. That's not a choice. Polygamy forces young girls into marriage because the supply of women gets depleted quickly. They are treated and considered as commodities. I married our prophet, Joel LeBaron's younger brother, Verlin, when I was just past my 15th birthday. I became his sixth wife. He was 38. If the public was educated about what really goes on in polygamy, they would realize that these women are literally in bondage. I wanted to run, I wanted to leave. And by the time I really got the courage to leave, I found out I was pregnant and felt like I couldn't. And with each one that was born, I hated myself because I brought another child into slavery. I was now trapped. And uh, the bondage of my motherhood was now gonna keep me there. And I would hold my baby and cry and tell her, what kind of a mommy have you got? You will be a slave all your life, just like me, and I brought you into this world. I prayed every day 
Dear God, help me get out, but help me get out with my children. A Shield and Refuge ministry draws its mission from Isaiah 61, to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, and to declare the Lord's favor to those who have only heard of His anger and rejection. The challenge before us is to have a safe place for refugees to go. You can't even imagine how different my life would have been if that had existed for me. But we know that God has not called us to undertake this task alone. We need help. And He's putting together a team to make this facility a reality. We are calling this safe house the Hagar Home in honor of a young, helpless girl who fled polygamy thousands of years ago and in recognition of the great God who saw her and cared for her and still sees and cares for polygamous refugees today. Then they too will be able to heal and grow strong and move forward in life with hope and confidence. Together we can bring good news to those who suffer, gently calm those who live in fear, and declare freedom to those modern-day Hagars of contemporary Mormon fundamentalism. Welcome back to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? Uh, I am Doris Hansen, and with our co-host uh, tonight, we have been talking about the top ten uh, worst polygamists <laughs> since Joseph Smith first introduced polygamy into religion. And the DVD you just watched, the four-minute preview, is a DVD that we do have available now. If you would like to get a copy, uh, you can contact us by telephone or over our, the Internet or come up to the Peach Days in Brigham City this, this, week, this coming weekend tomorrow and the next day, and we will have some of those DVDs available for you. We'd love to share them with you. Um, and they're free of charge. And they're free right. of charge, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, we generally publish uh, on our website and also in our monthly newsletter our future shows, the schedule and the topic for each upcoming show. But uh, And I want our viewers to know that you'll find frequent changes. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Earl, he sometimes no, you're no. in a spiral on this. But, but with unforeseen events and things that are going on that we can't see what happens, so we don't guarantee the schedule is set in concrete by any means. In fact, the opposite is true. Um, but next week, uh, we pretty well have this uh, determined that next week on the 11th, we're going to be talking part three of the 10 worst uh, polygamists. And then on the following week, the September the 18th, we'll read viewers' emails and discuss the validity of our program and the format. And then the following week on September 25th we'll be reviewing a magazine article written about a local polygamy group which will round out our September show schedule. We want to thank all of our viewers who watch and who learn from our program and we also want to remind those who send us nasty emails that there is an off button on your television and there's probably a channel changer there 
as well. And our phone lines are open. We would love to talk to you. Anybody who would like to enter into the conversation, if you disagree with us, fine. We'll talk to you as long as you don't yell at us and as long as you give us opportunity to respond to your comments. If the those uh, particular courtesies are violated, we will disconnect you. Otherwise, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. And we, um, as we're waiting for calls to come in, it looks like the lines are, no. are flashing there, but no. we don't have any calls yet. So what we'll do is share some information, port portions of an online article that discusses polygamy and the government's role in regulating marriage mm -hmm. and, uh, and marriage practices versus okay. religious freedom, which okay. is a big part of polygamy in Utah. You know, the article listed interesting and viable reasons why polygamy <coughs> should remain unlawful. It stated that it is constitutional to prohibit the practice of religious human sacrifice. Yeah. That's, it, we can <laughs> prohibit that, okay. Uh, and it's also uh, constitutional to prohibit a woman from being burned alive on her dead husband's funeral pyre. So we can prohibit that. So laws against harmful religious practices are constitutional and are necessary. So in the article, we're going to read part of what it says to back up this yeah. particular idea. And talking about prohibiting polygamy prevents harm to women. Anthropologists have identified problems in modern polygamous households, <coughs> such as the fact that young girls are often tricked or coerced into marrying older, wealthy men and that women and children of modern polygamy are often poorly educated, impoverished, and chronically dependent on welfare. And, and you know, some key That's words there, there. Yeah. it's very true, some of the key words there are they're tricked and coerced, coerced yeah. into marriage. The polygamists deny it, but their denial is not correct because they do it. The polygamists do that. Even though they all deny it, every one of them are guilty of it, Forced decisions is not a freedom of choice. And of course, we have our two DVDs, The Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, and now this new one, The Home for Hagar. It's full of testimonies of, of women who have left polygamy groups and some of the horror stories that took place in their experience while they were part of the polygamy. And what could a 10 to a 14-year-old girl be thinking anyway? Mom and dad are pressuring her. I mean, what, what choices does she really have yeah. when she's being coerced? They can't certainly can't make an educated no, choice. No, not a mature choice, certainly. In fact, Helen Mar Kimball, when she was coerced into marrying she Joseph was, Smith, she was, she, only 14. she was only 14, and she said, this was, I didn't want to do this. In fact, she had a boyfriend, you know, that oh, she really? would rather be around with her young 14, 15-year-old friends, sure. and here all of a sudden, she's thrust into into Joseph Smith and the older and he wouldn't let her go out now with the young people after they got married but she said I didn't want to do this they um, what's the word they deceived me she said mm -hmm. because I thought it would be a name only well obviously yeah, it was also involved. <laughs> so, and she she didn't have a choice she didn't have a choice so anyway we'll read other points about from this article about why polygamy should be prohibited but we do have a couple of calls so we'll take them right now and on line one, we have Alex calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Alex. Well, hello. Hi. Hi, Alex. You're Hi. on the air. Hi. Uh, first of all, I just want to congratulate you guys because of the program. is very informative. Um, and um, I have a question regarding polygamy. 
Um, I actually um, I became MBS uh, in, in my country. I came to the U.S. Uh, about seven years ago, and when I met, you know, when I met the young um, missionaries a long time ago in my country, they didn't teach you much about polygamy, and <laughs> it's something that I, I, I'm starting to discover now that I'm older, and that I'm, you know, I'm more, I want to get more of the knowledge of the, the, the religion, because they don't really teach you all this stuff, they, they just teach you the basic stuff so that you can get baptized, um, and I would like to know, um, because when they justify polygamy, when I ask them now about polygamy, uh, because my personal opinion is this, this is wrong, and I don't really believe that, and I always tell this to any person, any bishop, or any missionary, or anybody, I am against that, and I always have been against that. But they say that polygamy, uh, it was practiced in the past, so I'm wondering if it's that uh, has been any time of history would that have justified polygamy? He said, who, who would, how is it justified? Would you say that question Your again, last, Alex? Your last sentence, I wasn't sure of. You said something about... Um, I just want to know if uh, in history, you know, the, oh, in because history. They, they say that polygamy was practiced in the past, that there are the proofs in the Bible, mm -hmm. but in a way to justify now, they say that. So I'm wondering yeah. if God has ever justified polygamy in some way. Never, Alex. God never commanded polygamy. People in the Bible did live polygamy, and the Bible records the good things and the bad things that people did in those times. But God instituted monogamy, not polygamy. He never commanded polygamy. He never required polygamy. You won't find any place in the Bible where polygamy is condoned by God. And just because people lived it doesn't mean that it's a requirement for people to do it. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 says, Every man should have his own wife, and each, uh, each woman should have her own husband. Uh, which, of course, and there's uh, many, many other places yeah. where God does not want polygamy. Um, and, of course, it's like we said earlier, the Mormons deny their history. We don't know why they have to deny their history, but they do. And that's why you never heard about polygamy when you were being, yeah. uh, you know, uh, talked into joining their church. That's just the way they operate. Alex, I often think about Adam and Noah when I, when I think of polygamy. And if God really had wanted these men to raise up righteous seed it would have been then uh -huh. and they would have and he would have given the multiple wives they were not given multiple wives right so i hope you answered your question alex mm -hmm. no thank you so much it was very informative good luck alex yeah. that's that's tough uh, we actually met another several people now that have uh, left their country after joining the church, coming to what they think is Zion. Mm -hmm. Then they come here and they start learning more and more of the real doctrine yeah. that they've been really tricked into joining. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's devastating for them. And, and they don't want to be embarrassed to the, from their family or anything else. So And you know, that happened when John Taylor was, I think it was in France. And they had heard over there, they were he was on a missionary yeah. journey, and they had heard that polygamy was being practiced by the Mormons it. in Salt Lake. And he denied it. And he called it evil. He called it fornication. He called it adultery. He called it wickedness. And, and how it, right? dare you <laughs> say that we do that? And he had 11 wives. 
Well, there are different counts. Some, some people said he had eight wives. Other accounts said he had 11 wives. But he was a polygamist, and, and they, they, he yeah. lied to them. Yeah. And that's precisely what's still going on today. They don't tell their history. Yeah. They don't tell their And it's, it's tragic. Really, it is tragic. Okay, line two. Uh, we have John calling from Springville. Hello, John. You're on the air. John? John, John. <laughs> Hello. Well, John. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, we can. We can now. Okay. Hi, Doris. <laughs> hey, I hope my question's not too off topic, but it's based on something you talked about a couple of weeks ago. You had a gentleman on, and you're talking about the book, A Devil's Gate. So I got that book, and I read it, and I thought it was really fascinating. question I have is, in the book, several times it mentions that the, uh, the, the hand cart uh, companies, they, they had coffee. That's yes. one of their provisions. Yes. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are, uh, because this is post, um, post Joseph Smith and the Word of Wisdom, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts <laughs> or comments are about them having coffee then, but can't have it now. Ooh, and I'll that's hang a up good question. And take your uh, answer off the air. Okay, John, thank you. It's a good question. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting question. Yeah. But, you know, in the book, and I don't remember the, the name of the book, but it has a list uh, th that the pioneers, when they were moving, when they were b getting their wagons ready to come yeah. west, a list of required items that they were supposed to have on their wagons, and one of the required items was either 100 or 200 pounds of coffee. Wow, that was required in all their wagons. Joseph Smith drank coffee. He drank tea. He was seen, and in fact, in, in his history, or one of the histories, he is smoking. So for heaven's sakes, and this was, at, and he drank wine, uh, it, it, and beer yeah, too. In fact, yeah. they had whiskey, in jail, they had the a, a bottle jail, of whiskey. So, yeah. so he, 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 what can I say? Well, <laughs> the church, of course, excuses that as being, at that point, it was a word of wisdom, and it didn't become a temple question until into the 1900s or no, 1930s or but 40s. God but God doesn't change. No, He doesn't. And and uh, Jesus drank wine and mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and in fact, He said, Jesus said, "It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you; it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you." And of course, He was talking about and He names those things it's yeah. that He's talking about. That's lying. If lying comes out of your mouth, that defiles you. Not taking coffee in and so on and so forth. Okay. Good question. Hope that answered the, the yeah. gentleman's questions. Line three, we have John calling from Wyoming. Hello, John. Hi, how are you? Hey. I want to tell you how very much I appreciate your program. Thank you. We're glad you enjoy it. Thank you. Oh, it's a fantastic program. And you bring up so many wonderful points about the historicity of the church. But I think it's very important to bring forward that everyone might know that we actually, inside the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints today, uh, are not allowed to practice polygamy. We're aware of that. That's something that the membership wants to be involved in. And we are a Christ-dedicated church. Uh, we believe that the scriptures tell us we're two or three or more John? are gathered in my name, though will I be also. John, let me ask you um, a question. Uh, John, I uh, want to ask you a question. Do you believe that God changes? I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that God changes? Uh, I believe that God's 
the yes, same. Yes, John. Today, today yes, forever. I don't think John, that God changes. No, yes, I really don't. God doesn't change, and so the the way and the way, the that way he does things, John, he always does things the same way. Okay, so then why is there so much change in the history of Mormonism? And this goes clear back to Joseph Smith, clear up to today, and includes all the Mormon factions and polygamy groups and main church and so on. There's so many changes that they've made. Just like we were talking about the Word of Wisdom right now. If polygamy was right in the early days, it's got to be right today. If it was wrong then, it has to be wrong now. God doesn't change. And in Mormonism, the only thing that we can be sure of is that they will change. The black issue. They, God changed on the black issue. And you can read Mormon history and find out where the blacks were condemned and cursed and were never to get the priesthood ever until everybody else could ever get it. And, and, and all of a sudden... That's not, that's not exactly true. You know, Joseph Smith himself true. had called... Oh, oh John, it's uh, true. Uh, ...a member to serve as a general authority inside the church. was a member of the Quorum of the John, Seventy. read your um, history and, his and you will read. And very active in the Mormon church. And they're very proud of their That ancestry. doesn't matter. So this is something that you John, may not be aware of, but I am it, it aware is a valid point. I am aware um, of it, John, but let me tell you and, something. And, and, well, Read your history. Okay, he wouldn't let me talk. Read his history. <laughs> yeah. Read your history, John, because everything in Mormon history there has changed. It's changed. The, the Mormon of today is not the Mormon of Joseph Smith's day. It isn't. Totally different. In fact, go to a polygamy group and you will see Mormonism of Joseph Smith. That's exactly right, John. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and and Joseph Smith may have ordained a, a black man as a, a, to to give, give him the priesthood, but that doesn't change the fact that the church actually, as you said so well, that they denounced blacks. They were fence sitters in heaven and mm -hmm. all kinds of other things yeah. that they quoted about and, about and, the blacks. And, and, and that black person. And these were being taught by prophets of God. These aren't these aren't men that just happen to follow Joseph Smith. We raise our hand and make them prophets, seers, and revelators, mm -hmm. apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and they, they change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do change. Or we discount but that, their doctrine. Uh, uh, that black man he's talking about was was afterwards, and I don't have all the details on yeah, this, but either. the history can sh will show it if somebody wanted to look it up. He was later, uh, I think it was Brigham Young, who later said that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> Probably. And and Brigham Young was he was the one who preached more against the blacks, yeah. but so did Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith said, and I don't have the comment in front of me, but he said that he would prefer that all the blacks st stayed together and stayed away from you know where they would be segregated. Yeah. Uh, they were racist. Read the Book of Mormon. Read the Book of Abraham. There's racism all over Mormon doctrine. It's just there. I'm sorry, sir, you need to read your own history, uh, and not the Clorox version. Get into the real history, and you will see some things that will turn your hair white, and that's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> anyway, that took care of our calls. we got some more callers there, but I don't think we have time to take any, uh, any more calls anyway as they come through because we're getting close to the end. But it's been interesting doing the research on these top it ten has, polygamists, and, fascinating. and and we find so much um, parallelism in yeah. what these men did as they tried to follow the the polygamy of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and John yeah. Taylor and these other guys. And to dismiss these men as different than Joseph Smith in the polygamy because the yeah, people that were doing that, yeah. it's just the same. Yeah, it yeah. is. 
So we want to thank you for watching. Historically in Mormonism, many leaders have been unrestrained in their moral misbehavior and have placed themselves beyond accountability to their membership. And we wonder why members of polygamy groups and the LGS Church hold their leaders to a lower standard than they hold for themselves. Joseph Smith excused his immoral behavior by claiming God told him to do it. And even today, no one has the courage to say he was wrong, even though he did things they themselves would never do. It's the classic emperor with new clothes story. The truth stares them in the face, but they refuse to admit it. The leaders are up on the pedestal, surrounded with protection against critics, yet Jesus said leaders were to be the servants, not put on a pedestal to be admired. The historical truth is Joseph Smith committed adultery. Emma caught him in the act. Brigham Young taught and practiced blood atonement. It's in the official church records. The early church practiced racism. It's all over the Book of Mormon and Book of Abraham. No wonder the fundamentalists still are racist. And sadly, the regular membership who strive to please their leaders justify Joseph's ungodly behavior simply because he claimed to be a prophet. Most of Mormonism now admits Joseph Smith was a mere man who made mistakes. And that's the very reason that we do this show and we urge you to stop following a mere man who made mistakes and follow Jesus Christ. Not only he did not make mistakes, but he suffered and died for ours. May God open the eyes of all of our polygamist and Mormon viewers that they would turn from following Joseph Smith to following Jesus Christ only, the only place where you will find his forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for watching and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.